This is your host, Tia. This is your host, Tia. Welcome back to another exciting episode of the Top 10. Why? Geek Vibe Nation. Geek Vibe Nation. Nation. Hello, 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 everyone, and welcome back to another fantastic episode of the Top 10 by Geek Vibe Nation. I'm your host, Tia, and how is everyone doing while we're in the middle of the end of the world? Um, No, seriously, it is a certainly a scary time, very uncertain times that we're in, but hopefully this show and others that Geek Vibes Nation provides you kind of gives you a little bit of comfort while you're being quarantined inside your home. But I have one person with me who unfortunately is not quarantined because she is a hardworking girl. Brittany, how are you doing this morning? <laughs> I was going to say, I, I, I'm good. I was like, man, she is very optimistic, right? Because you're like the end of the world. But no, it, it's been good. Uh, I learned that by working at Walmart that apparently people love taco seasoning and taco fixings and uh, what else did, oh, uh, pasta and a lot of canned goods right now. That is, oh, and, uh, oh, and spaghetti. I was like, man, I was like, I didn't realize so many people love this stuff, especially around this time. And uh, got me tickled a little bit. And if you're looking for hamburger meat, you ain't going to find it. It's all gone. I feel like you should have known that people love tacos just because it's literally the easiest thing to make ever. Um, Even, like, me, who is such a terrible cook, uh, can't mess up tacos. I'm going to say, like, it was just interesting because I would go to grab everything, and it's just the same thing over and over again. Lots of mustard and ketchup, too. Well, yeah, obviously, you need your, uh, you need your condiments, you know what I'm saying? Uh, I, know, I know what you're saying. I already got the cat ball <laughs> on me, too, so it's going to be a good time. That's how you know it's going to be a good podcast is when the cats are already, like, moving in on me. They're pretty much like our good luck gems. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And ladies, basically, <laughs> a cat at this point. Oh, basically. Oh, it was so funny. Really quick. Um, freaking Polly went to go take Lady out on a walk, and our orange cat Sunny was like moving towards the door. So Polly was like, "Oh, you wanna you wanna go for a walk?" And he put the harness on Sunny, and Sunny just kind of looked like a sphinx at that point with how still he was. It's like, what the oh hell is he got what he wanted. Yeah, right? I mean, he, he went towards the door. It seemed like he wanted to go out, and he got to experience what ladies get to experience all the time. Nice. It was interesting. Oh. Um, <laughs> But that's not what our podcast is about today. Uh, Of course, we are doing the top 10. Listen, I am determined to make sure that this top 10 happens every weekend because I have literally zero Wi-Fi right now. For some reason, it is like a 
conspiracy theory, Verizon, I guess because everyone's home, so obviously shit's going to get overloaded, but they have, like, my Wi-Fi's been good Monday through Friday between, like, 7 a.m. and 6.30. After 6.30 and now on the weekend, it's non-existent. And I'm just like, okay, but what am I supposed to do for the whole weekend, which I know is so, like, first-world problem. But my whole point is that normally I, quote-unquote, work the board, and I'm not doing that right now because I have no Wi-Fi. So our, you know, El Presidente Juan is working the boards at this moment, and it's, like, so weird for me to, like, not be doing that. But my whole point is I'm like, come hell or high water, this top ten is happening. <laughs> it's so funny. Now when you say Juan, my brain instantly goes, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's the catchphrase. Juan, if you're listening, we love you, but absolutely, we absolutely love you. Absolutely. Um, but, yeah, so today we are doing the top ten for everyone, and it is the top ten characters who have outshined the lead in movies and TV shows because this has happened to me a lot, and I'm sure it's happened to you a lot, Brittany, where it's like, you're watching something, it's like, yeah, 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 the lead, who cares? But there's another character where you're like, yeah, no, that person. They're the yeah. important ones here. So I'm super pumped to just kind of, like, get into this, like, let's do it. Let's, you know, just, I don't know. I'm excited. I've been looking forward to it all day. And I was like, if this Wi-Fi thinks that they're going to screw me over, they've got another thing coming. Oh, that makes me think of the song. Oh, <laughs> and uh, cue the song. <laughs> yeah, it's cute. Cue it, Tia. Do it. Oh, my gosh. But I'm like, here, I always mess this up where I have to bring up our message from a friend of the podcast right now. And I was like, oh, wait, I got to get that. Let me do that. Brittany, keep talking. But I have it in front of me. Um so, as always, I want to bring you guys a message from uh, Stranger Damies, who are part of the main Damie family of podcasts, and they're really awesome. They provide a lot of great content. So, um, Stranger Damies is the ongoing real play D&D podcast from the main Damie family of podcasts. Make sure you join them every Wednesday as the wild stallions traverse the many traps and tribulations that Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition has to throw in their path. They're elves, weird half-dragon people, conspiracies to uncover, and more references to the 1980s and Ready Player One. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on all podcast services by searching Stranger Damies, and you can follow them on Twitter and Instagram at Stranger Damies. And, of course, Stranger Damies is also a proud member of Geek Vibes Nation, and you can find us at geekvibesnation.com. Um, Brittany, you know what I just thought about? Since you what did you just think about? Since you worked yesterday, did you get to do your uh, D&D? Halfway. I, I came in late, and they had basically set out my character for this little adventure they were going on which was fine, but I was like, guys, I was like, I don't even see when I'm going to come back in. I was like, can I just go ahead and go to bed? And they were like, yeah, 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 that's fine. Because they were just doing little side 
like side quests, like none of the main lore stories. So I was like, all right, this girl's going to bed. Yeah, you definitely went to bed early. I mean, I was like messaging you, and then I was like, oh, she gone. <laughs> she gone. She dead. Yeah, no, I, I that has been my life lately. I I had to cancel stream three nights in a row, and it was because as soon as I came home, I just like slept. And I drooled, and my mouth was wide open. I was like, I was like, I don't think there was any life left in my body. Is it bad? I feel a little victorious that you canceled your streams, but yet somehow have managed to be on the top ten with me this morning. <laughs> That's because I fear you more than anything. Good. It's better to be feared than loved. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> no, I was watching something recently where that was, like, the quote in it. It was like, oh, I decided to be feared rather than loved or something. So I was like, I'm going to bring this out. But let's just get right into the podcast before I make even bigger of a fool of myself. Brittany, we're doing the top ten characters who outshine the leads in both TV and movies. What is your number 10? I'm going to go with Jack Sparrow from Pirates of the Caribbean. Because obviously, what were you going to say? Because you had a dream about him recently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, no, you think about it. You know, the whole story is wanting to follow the love of these two people and trying to reunite them and blah, blah, blah. But Jack Sparrow... Even though he, you know, he's around for the reason of the boat, for the Black Pearl, he he's he's like a main character, but he's not like a main story plot. It was just that he basically won everybody over with how much they loved him. Like, I'm telling you, I don't think Pirates of the Caribbean would have been even halfway successful if it wasn't for Jack Sparrow. And he brought such, like, an air to it where it could have been a little more serious, a little more somber with what you're dealing with. And I know it's like uh, Jack has his own storyline, but I wouldn't say he's particularly the main, main character. I would say it was, uh, I'm trying to remember her name, but Will and, uh, oh, I can't, and Elizabeth, you know, I would say like, oh, they're the main characters, this whole thing of them trying to get back together. But Jack was basically just, the best without trying to be the best. And it's like he stayed around for every movie. He even had a movie where he was the only one in it. And I was like, I would consider him, you know, when you're starting out with Will and Elizabeth and suddenly you have this goofy-ass pirate that's bringing this whole other air to it. He's suddenly becoming a main character in his own right. And I, I liked Will, but I definitely liked Jack Sparrow more. I think he was definitely one of... uh Oh, I can't think of his name right now. I think one of his best characters. Yeah, I, I remember. So I would, I would never think of Jack Sparrow as like say not the lead, but you are right that especially the first three movies really focused on Will and Elizabeth, uh, their storyline. And now that I look back on, it, it's like yeah, they definitely were presented as the leads, but to me, I found them god awfully boring (laughs) like i just wanted to keep watching for jack sparrow johnny depp was incredible and as you said 
not only is it one of his standout roles, but it certainly made the movie popular because two fun facts. Uh, one is that they made the first Pirates and they never intended on making another one. That's why the first Pirates A has more of a complete ending and that's why it took so long in between the first and the second as opposed to the second and the third to be made. And also that Johnny, like the way Jack Sparrow was written wasn't to that degree of like craziness. Like Giant Depp interpreted that character more like flamboyantly, more erratic and out there. And Disney at first was really hesitant on putting that out because it was so like they were like this is supposed to be a kids movie you know Pirates of the Caribbean it's based based on one of our rides can we really put this movie out where you have someone who's acting flamboyant and it's like no it he's the popular reason like I, I know that Disney last I heard was planning on like rebooting the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, but I honestly can't think of anyone who would have been able to play Jack Sparrow like Johnny Depp. And I know that there is some controversy out there about Johnny Depp and his relationship with Amber Heard. But I'm going to say this on air right now. I'm not excusing Johnny Depp, but you you guys canceling Johnny Depp need to take that same energy and cancel Amber Heard. I don't want to see her in the next Aquaman movie, but that's just me. It's not about her. It's about it's about Jack. Is Sarah. she the one I was pretty abusive to him too. It came out recently some audio that Johnny Depp had had, but he didn't release it because he wanted to keep things civil and not tarnish her reputation. So he was like pretty much okay with him getting bashed. But then I think with the lawyers and stuff, it just got so much that he released the audio. And it's like, she like bit his, like half of his finger off, which like correlates to, um, you know, videos around the time of him like going to visit kids and like say the hospital as Jack Sparrow and was like, oh, his fingers all bandaged up. And he was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, I got so hungry. Yeah, and this whole audio got released of Amber Heard, like, pretty much taunting, like, Johnny Depp, like, oh, you're going to say I abused you, you know, like, blah, 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 like, just trash, like, trashy. It really, like, I, I get someone else That's to play. That's pretty freaking awful. Yeah, I didn't mean to go on that, like, you know, tangent or anything, but the whole Amber no, Heard I, I, situation... Yeah, it makes me, like, serious. I think it's just one of those things that's important to note that it's, like, that's why it's so hard. A lot of guys don't get taken seriously because it is possible for a woman to abuse a man. And it's especially hard when they can go, especially right now, where it's, like, oh, I'm just going to say you abused me, which brings us all back. It takes us all steps back. But, man, like, oh, they won't believe you. It's, like, that's messed up to the max degree, yeah, exactly. So I just wanted to mention it really quick, but it's not about that. It's about your pick of Jack Sparrow, which is awesome. Um, it makes me kind of want to go back and watch the Pirates movie if I had a fucking Wi-Fi, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> but great pick uh, as your number 10. Um, I'm going to hit the number 9. And 
you know, uh, this is definitely a character that you know, Brittany, and I feel like, so by the way, really quick, I looked at my list and I realized that, like, all of my characters are from TV shows, pretty much. I don't really have any movies, so. That's okay, uh, they're all from movies. movies. Good, perfect, there you go. Um, So mine is going to be Tim Gutterson from Justified. Um, because, you know, like, he is not, he is, go ahead, I'm sorry. <laughs> I was just laughing and I was like, I guess you could say his spot on this list was justified. Justified. <laughs> oh my God. Because, because obviously the show is about Timothy Oliphant as Raylan Givens, right? And I feel like, so this is, Tell me if I'm wrong, but I feel like in TV shows and movies now, it's like they have a lead, but they also spend a substantial amount of time on side characters because they realize how important that was. But when Justified came out, um, like kind of in, say, like I believe 2005 or something like that, it was still at that time where like the lead was the lead and you barely got the side characters. But to me, I'm like, I... And this is no disrespect towards Timothy Oliphant, but I just didn't really care about Raylan and his, like, relationship dramas and this drama. Oh, me neither. I'm like, I'm like, Tim Gutterson, played by Jacob Pitts, was hilarious. Um, the little bit of his character that we did get was great. And then if you go back and watch, like, say, season six, um, they started giving him more screen time, and it was hilarious. And I'm like... You could have been doing this the whole show. I don't know why you waited till the last season to finally be like, oh, now let's give him more screen time. So I definitely watched Justified strictly for Tim Gutterson. He 100% outshined the lead character in that show. So what do you think, Brittany? Like, you know that I went a good while with being obsessed with this character. Oh, I know that character or the actor, because the answer is both. But uh, <laughs> I, I remember you started watching it for him, and I remember you messaging me at the early on where you're like, "I hate the main character. I hate the main character." You were like, "Why does this actor always play characters that I hate?" Because you couldn't stand them because it is like such a. Uh, he always plays such a. Um, stereotypical uh like character but I remember you going Tim Gutterson makes it all worth it he makes it all worth it I can stick it out but uh I do think that character is so much more interesting because the little you showed me I was like he's playful he he doesn't take himself too seriously uh he makes messed up jokes about having ptsd because obviously he was a sniper in the war you know it's definitely interesting to see that kind of character that's dealing with certain things and uh and how people kind of cope with it but i just found him so much more interesting and i think it was also nice that since it was a character that you didn't have to focus on a romantic storyline with. It gave him more time to shine by himself rather than the whole story being pushed by, you know, a relationship, which I think is hard because all shows and movies focus on that because that's what kind of creatures we are. Yeah, exactly. I think the thing is that I also really liked um, Tim Gutterson's like partnership with the female um, 
cop, but I can't remember her name because I feel like it was either Erica or Rachel, but I can't remember. Like, one is the character's name Rachel. and one is, like, the actress. Yeah, right? And I think the actress's name was, like, Erica or something like that. But um, my whole thing is, I yeah. Uh, so, because this is going to sound bad, because uh, I know, like, Kanan really loves Justified, but I don't think that Timothy Oliphant is the best actor. Because I feel like he kind of plays the same person everything that he's in. Kind of like, uh, I, you know, it's funny because Deadwood came out first, and I feel like they pull a lot of parallels, especially because, you know, playing more of a Western vibe. Yeah. And it's always like the tough character who don't care, you know, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. But well, it's tough, it's like, but for a woman. I don't know. I just, I, I didn't necessarily like his character really in Justified. It was just more of a catalyst for the story to keep going. Like, to me in Justified, it's like you had Tim Gutterson, which was great, and then you had uh, Boyd played by uh, Walton Goggins. And it's like those two were the ones to me that were the, the most interesting characters in the show. I really couldn't give two shits about uh, Raylan. <laughs> I know. I, I had actually forgot his name. I was like, who? What? I had forgotten his name, too, and then suddenly it just, like, came out of my mouth as if, like, my brain was like, no, I got you, boo. Like, uh, we, we got this. And I was like, thanks, brain, because I didn't think I got it at first. <laughs> What's bad is I always feel bad because I'm like, I'm sure, you know, because so many people love them. So, you know, they have to be good in some capacity. But for me, I'm just like, I just don't care for that actor. It's like you and Ben Affleck. Yeah, Yeah, no, which, again, is hilarious because my mom always likes to point out to me that a lot of things like movies that I like have Ben Affleck in. And I'm like, yeah, but in general, I don't like Ben Affleck. But yeah, so <laughs> but yeah, so number nine is gonna be Tim Gutterson. Um, I just enjoyed him every single time he was on screen, and I wish that the writers had put him in it more than they did. But uh, Brittany, what's your number eight? Uh, I think I'm going to go with like I'm looking at my list right now. I kind of want to go with. Uh, with Loki from the Avengers and basically every movie he's in because he's never he's never the main character he's always the background character or supporting or the villain and that's why they had to basically he was so good that they basically had to what's the word for it basically sit him out on movies because he would steal the show so much and people would be so obsessed with him and Marvel always faced the problem of never having a good villain. And Loki was finally the good villain they needed. So they just kept recycling him. But I, when I think back to the Avengers or any of the Thor movies that have Loki in it, which I think was all of them, it's, he always fills the show. He has an interesting backstory. He has a motive. He ends up not being as bad as you think he is because it's just that he's having like basically issues with the fact that, you know, he is actually like a runt frost giant raised by, you know, the Asgardians and that basically his whole uh, family ties was just to 
basically unify these places and having all these issues over it and how he wanted to be the king. But then you get to see Loki as the king when he takes on Odin's form. He's just an idiot. He doesn't do anything. He just, like, wants to put on plays and be adored and be cared about. And you go, okay, this is what you wanted. This is what you wanted. (laughs) But, uh, like, I think back to Thor Ragnarok where you would say he's the supporting character. I focused on him with the Hulk part where he was like, yeah, that's what it feels like when uh, the Hulk messes up Thor in that uh, battle arena. But I don't know. And you, I know you'll agree, Miss uh, Loki uh, over here, obsessed fan. But, you know, it really was, even just back to the first Avengers, it was like he was, the bad guy, but I ended up remembering more of his parts than anybody else's, especially the ending scene with them being in, uh, I think it was Stark Towers, wasn't it, that they fell into? But uh, Yeah. Yeah, but it, I don't know. I just, I loved it. I love Loki. I think he definitely upstages uh, Thor a lot of the time, or anybody else that he's playing with. And that's pretty hard to do when you have, like, Chris Hemsworth, Seven, Robert Downey Jr. You know what I mean? It's like he kind of he's just upstaging everybody. Yeah, I mean that's honestly the reason why they didn't put Loki in Age of Ultron. Um, and I love what you said. It's like so every movie, it's like we worry about what's going to happen if Loki, you know, takes over. You know, oh my God, like he wants the throne so much. Blah blah. And it's like. All he wanted to do is just put on plays and, like, eat grapes and shit. I was like, he didn't do anything, like, terrible. But you're right. Like, so, I don't know if you saw, Brittany, but on Twitter a few days ago, it was a debate over, like, what's the worst MCU movie, Iron Man 3 or Thor The Dark World? And I'm like, Iron Man 3 is is at least watchable. Thor The Dark World is so horrific. The only thing that I do is literally skip the Loki parts. Oh, I know. Like, definitely, because whenever I watched the first Thor, any of the Thors besides Thor Ragnarok, I was like, why do they keep making these movies? Like, I hated Thor at first. I thought he was so uninteresting. He was so one-dimensional. You know, he he's just basically a brute. And I was like, Loki is the only thing interesting. And so when we had Thor Ragnarok, where everybody's interesting, I was like, okay. But it just goes to show how much more Loki shined in that movie. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, no. First of all, I love Thor Ragnarok. That movie did make me care, you know, for the character of Thor. Like, I remember before seeing Thor Ragnarok, there was talk about how Thor would have been, you know, one of the main focuses in Infinity War. And I remember thinking, oh, why? Like, that's a terrible idea. And then Thor Ragnarok came out, and it's like it truly was just, uh, you know, Taika Waititi needed to be in charge of the show pretty much. But Loki, like, Tom Hiddleston was so fantastic. You know, every villain gets sized up to him. And it's crazy that it has really taken this long for him to finally now be the star of something, which is he's going to be the star of his own TV show, 
which who knows, you know, when the hell that's going to come out with this whole, I you know, know right? having Oh, just as we're going to get a fucking Loki show, then suddenly it's like, oh, now we're going to, you know, end the fucking world. But I 100% agree with you. You know I do. Like, I love Loki. I was obsessed. I remember the first time I saw Thor, I think I saw that movie a couple of times in theater just because I was like, I need more Loki. Like, Tom Hiddleston, the amount of, like, characterization that he brought to that character. I mean, I fucking cried as soon as he had his whole little, you know, confrontation with Odin where he then found out that he was not only adopted, but a creature that the Asgardians frequently, you know, talked down on. Which you think about all these years, like, that Odin, you know, who knew, obviously, would tell horrific stories of the Frost Giants knowing that Loki was indeed a Frost Giant. It's kind of fucked up. I was going to say, Odin wasn't the best dad. And uh, as we can tell from American Gods. (laughs) Any rendition of Odin is terrible. Like, Thor Ragnarok had the only best rendition, and it was probably, like, two seconds before he died. Right, right, and that was also because you know Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, so so Anthony Hopkins. So yeah, no, I I love Loki so much. I mean, I really desperately like Brittany. I desperately wanted him to come back in Endgame, and it's like, yeah, I know we saw Tom Hiddleston, but that wasn't the same Loki, you know. It's like I wanted yeah. him to. Re- I want him to really not be dead. I know that Thanos made his whole speech of, you know, oh, no more resurrections for you. And Thor was like, I think he's really dead. I was like, yeah, but this is lucky. I was like, he always pulls some shit out of his ass. Oh, really quick. I was gonna say, and then they were like, no more resurrections. Goes back to the past. He escapes. Wait, yeah. what? <laughs> That's illegal. Um. This is how popular, like, Loki is, is that the um, people behind Thor the Dark World did really intend to kill him off. Like, that's why you have that moment where, like, Thor is holding him on the ground and, you know, he's like, I didn't do it for Father, I did it for you, you know, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, that was supposed to be, like, Loki's death. That's why it was so emotional. But when they went to, like, you know, the testing uh, audience and shit, they were like, what? No. And that's why they filmed that scene really quick at the end where Odin turns into Loki. And it's like, yeah, I would have hated if, like, that was when they decided, let's, you know, kill off freaking Loki. I mean, granted, yeah, no, I hated so that he got killed potential. off. I mean, I hated when Thanos killed him off within two seconds of Infinity War. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> This is all never like, Oh, I guess they were like, you know what? We gotta, we gotta put the the, the death knell on uh, Loki here. I can't believe they got Tom Hiddleston to play Loki so much, though. Well, he loved the character, you know. I mean, the, you know, Tom Hiddleston originally auditioned to be Thor. And they were like, you know, we already, like, got someone. We like him as Thor. But, you know, we'd really love for you to audition for Loki. And he's like, God damn it. I, like, gained all this weight and shit to look like Thor. Now i got to lose all this weight and look all gangly and sickly. 
you know, that's what gets me is I always, I'll be like, oh, he would look weird with black hair. And then, I, like, with blonde hair. And then I go, wait a second. Tom Hilton's originally, really like, sandy blonde or, like, brown-headed and not, you know, black as night hair. That's why he thought that he'd be a good pick because he's like, oh, I have blonde hair. I'm British. Like, I'll be able to do this. And they're like, nope, we're going to the Australian. <laughs> I, I don't want to make political jokes there, but there's a joke somewhere in there. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> I will say one last thing is hilarious, you know, because to us, like Tom Hiddleston and Chris Hemsworth are what two of like the biggest stars today. And it always just cracks me up when you look back and the internet frequently brings this up is that when they first casted those two for Thor, um, Variety or something had an article that was, Marvel takes a chance and casts two no-names for their movie Thor. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, Variety. That's so crazy. <laughs> it's like, if, uh, I think it's like why everybody's in such a rush that, like, when you're a beginning actor, you really want to play in a Marvel movie because that's basically like, like the guy that plays Mbaku when he was like, that was the first thing he ever acted in. And you guys think about how popular he is now. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's also why it was probably really exciting. Well, to me, that's what like Marvel does, right? It, does, it takes people that you're not necessarily aware of. Like, don't get me wrong. I love when they bring in people that, you know, like Josh Brolin, Anthony Hopkins, you know, other people like they have yeah, Anthony, Anthony, jo- Anthony Hopkins, like, Sir Anthony Hopkins, but you know, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, fuck Anthony Jolie is going to be in the Eternals, you know, but I also love when they bring people who you're not really aware of. Like I'll say, I'll say, uh, you know, the guy who is going to play Shang-Chi, Simu Liu. I don't know who he is, but I'm excited. Like, you know, I'm really excited to have someone who you know, maybe not be on everyone's radar so that we can then appreciate him. So I really like it. I'm excited for that, which, again, had to stop production. But anyway, that's not what this podcast is about. Anyway, um, Brittany, (laughs) I love that you picked Loki. Um, You know me. I could talk about Loki for days. but (laughs) I guess you could say your obsession isn't Loki. Please don't hurt me. Wow. Escort yourself out. That was terrible. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'll take take number seven. And it's funny because I was just talking. It's it's Marvel, actually. It's still Marvel. And I was actually talking about this actor yesterday with Juwan. And it is going to be Ward Meacham from the Iron Fist series. Oh, yes. Because, like, all right, so, you know, Iron Fist obviously was the weakest link, like, in the whole Defenders universe, right? Um, And that first season especially was, like, whew, terrible. But it's, like, I continued watching, like, before they came out with the second season, I watched the first season, like, over and over and over again. It's, like, oh, why? You know, it was terrible. Why would you subject yourself to such horrific story writing and acting? Well, because Free was in it as Ward Meacham, as the most interesting character ever. Like, just 
how done he was. Like, and it's so hilarious to have a character like that, right? Like, you have this Marvel universe where there's literally gods and this and that, and so you got this guy coming, Danny Rand, who's like, I spent all this time in the mountains, and it was a mystical mountain, and I learned kung fu, and I have this yellow glowing fist, and blah, 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 and Ward is like, what the hell are you talking about? (laughs) (laughs) As he he struggles with his crippling drug addiction. Yeah. But I love that. Like, I know it's not bad. Like, I love that. But it's, like, it was so real. Like, when you have yes. a, a show where it's, like, there's so much of this, like, fantasy and, like, almost far-fetched shit going on that you have someone who's dealing with something who's, like, you know, really real. It's, like, dealing with, you know, his crippling drug addiction, dealing with, you know, an abusive father. Like, I knew that in season one we always, like, knew that that would what was going on, right? But in season yeah. two, like, Ward Ward really says it. Like, he says to his sister, like, why Why do you think I had a broken arm this one time? You think that really happened in a skiing accident? Like, why do you think this, you know, in this accident, in this accident? It's like, it was all because of his dad. And it's like, they really, like, came out and said it. So it's like, to me, what made Ward so watchable wasn't just his sassiness, which was hilarious, but it was that, he was a fantastic actor. Um, he was incredibly real. And in the end, you know, I think as much as he liked to push people away, I think all he wanted was a support team because he was willing to help Danny, especially in the second season. And he really desperately tried to repair his relationship with Joyce in the second season. And I just loved him. I loved Ward, like, Honestly, when Iron Fist got canceled before we knew that they were really going to cancel the whole entire fucking universe, um, I was like, I don't care what you do with Danny. I don't care what you do with any of those other characters. Just find a way to keep Ward in this universe. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. (laughs) Just do Um, it. I always, really quick, I always thought, because in the second season of Iron Fist, they introduced um, this character called Typhoid Mary. And she was good, but I felt like she was out of place for Iron Fist. I thought that she would have um, really done well in The Punisher because she was very, like, one of her personalities was very, like, militarized, very, like... Like, I just felt like she would have been good in The Punisher. And her and Ward kind of, like, ended up working together at some point. So I'm like, okay... Bring Typhoid Mary into the Punisher and connect Ward to her in that case. Like, I wanted it desperately. But, yeah, so Tom Pelfrey, who now is in the third season of Ozark, that just came out on Netflix, and I asked Juwan, I go, do I have to watch seasons one and two to understand season three? And he he was like, yes, Tia, yes, you do. And I was like, I'm going to watch season three anyway. <laughs> oh, my God. That is your MO, is to skip so many seasons to get to the characters that you like. Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, so Ward Meacham, what do you think, Brittany? Did I did I subject I, you enough to watching him over the years? <laughs> I want to say, I have watched a lot of Ward Meacham. And I will say, it is nice to have that, like, overly human character 
because I think so many times, like, what gets me is, you know, a lot of times when we watch drug addiction in movies, they can get, like, off of it so easy. They kind of, they skim over the nastiness of it, right? They just uh, basically, like, oh, you know, it's not that big a deal, yada, yada. You know, they can get better, like, oh, they just need one really good talk, and then they get better, right? And it's like, no, that's not how it is with him. You get to see him actually physically hurting himself so he can get drugs. You you can see that he's coping with it. Because a lot of times when people think of, like, drug addicts, they'll go, oh, well, you know, why did they do that? They deserve that because, you know, they chose to do it. But then when you think about it, he only really started to get into that because he was struggling with the fact that his dead father came back to life, the abusive one. He's trying to protect his sister. And you realize, oh, he's just trying to cope. I mean, he's kind of been through some shit. Well, and then there is at some point where the whole, like, idea of his pill medication comes up in the first season. And Joyce is like, what the hell? And he's like, oh, I, uh, I hurt my back, you know, and they gave this to me. And it's like, okay, A probably didn't hurt his back, you know, in some sort of accident. It's probably because of his dad. And we all know that doctors give people, like, opioid shit, you know, to cope with the pain, and that is easy to get hooked on. So, you know, we see how he's, like, trying to, you know, downplay it to his sister, and he, like, throws the pill bottle away to kind of be like, oh, see, look, you know, I'm fine. And then it's like, no, he's so not fine. He's going through fucking withdrawal. And that's when he, like, hurts his hand to get, you know, freaking drugs. And it's like, you're right. You know, they show that, like, he goes back and forth with it. And um, I believe the reason why we didn't see him in the Defenders, well, I don't know why we didn't see the actor in the Defenders, but they explained that he is out on a trip. And I'm pretty sure it was probably that he was at those, like, really fancy rehabs because he's, like, a billionaire. I'm about to say, in that while, like, whenever they go to rehab and it's, like, a freaking resort. <laughs> I will t- I will tell you, I see commercials for that sometimes. I'm like, that looks so nice because at first they just, like, you think it's, like, for a resort and shit. And they're like, if you have a drug dependency, I'm like, oh. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> You're like, wait a second. <laughs> I've been bamboozled. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I just can't go to this. Okay. Okay, but um, yeah, like I just I love War Meacham. He was just such an interesting character to me. And like the second season, honestly, Danny got better. I don't know if it's a. I think it's a combination of like the writing was better, the director was better. Someone smacked uh, the actor across the face and said, "Stop being so stupid" or something. I don't know what really the reason was there, but he was or the writing. Better. Didn't they have a new uh, writer at that point? They got a new writer. Yeah, they got a new writer. They got a new showrunner. So they had, like, a lot of new people that came. Because I think they desperately wanted to save Iron Fist. They knew how poorly received it was. Um, They even, because all the other shows, except for The Defenders, which was a miniseries, but all the other shows had 13 episodes. And season two of Iron Fist only had 10. Because they were like, we got to sharpen this up, like, less filler, pretty much, and just kind of make it a better show. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. It had it had a better response, but yeah. So, 
Word Legion will always live on in my heart. But uh, Brittany, what's your number six? I'm say quick side note. Um, so I'm sitting here talking, doing the podcast, and I have a knitted blanket, and Toby, my cat, got his claw crazily hung in it, so I was trying to, like, get him undone, and it reminded me with the lion with the thorn in its paw and the mouse having to remove it and being so scared. I was like, this cat is about to destroy my entire career if I do not get him untangled. <laughs> so, yeah, i just letting you know I survived that. I'm, I'm happy. I would have been very sad if you hadn't. All right, right. Uh, I'm looking at my list. Uh, you're going to laugh. I'm going to go ahead and put this on my list. And I know we just talked about this, but you're going to understand. Stick with me. It's not me just being goofy, okay? Okay, I'm here. It's Hannibal from Silence of the Lambs because Clarice is the main character of that movie. And did you know that Hannibal only actually has 16 minutes in that movie? And who is the one person you remember out of that movie? Who is the one person you remember more than anyone? It is Hannibal. And, and okay, that's what got me is because I was thinking and I was like, man, I was like, I was like, I could put Hannibal, but I was like, I think he's a main character. You know, he's such a big part. And I kind of looked further into it. And apparently a lot of people feel that way. Hannibal Lecter in that movie, with him showing up, yes, he helps progress the story, but it mostly focuses on Clarice, you know, her struggles in a male-dominated field, about her being, uh, you know, trying to figure out who this murderer is. But in my mind, you know that is my favorite movie of all time. And to see Hannibal, I always focus so much on him, but I remember there's a lot of times that I want to skip ahead to his parts because I'm like, okay, I want to, I felt like, oh, you know, there's this filler, even though the whole movie as a whole is good. But Hannibal himself, when I looked it up and it was like, Hannibal, you know, it's interesting because he only showed up for 16 minutes in this movie. And I was like, that's like a two-hour movie, Tia. Can you imagine, like, someone in it that he made such an impression, such a wild, like, move on it that he completely took over the movie where he is the face of it. Like, I always remember Clarice. That's why the second movie didn't do as well because they got a different actress in it because uh, she didn't like the way it was going to be written. And, yes, it was more Hannibal-focused in that one. But for this movie in itself, I just... Like the fava beans with the part where he, you know, escapes his uh, cell by, you know, uh, having a piece of metal in his mouth and undoing. Like, you realize how clever he is and how integral he is uh, to the story. But then you sit there and you go, huh, I think he only has, like, two scenes in it. Actually, three scenes. Well, actually four, if you want to get really specific. But when I think back to each of them, each of those scenes is only like five minutes long. I feel like I shouldn't be surprised <laughs> that you put this on the list. And this isn't it's even like, like a running joke moment. This isn't just, even like a running joke of me putting him on every list. This is me being serious. I just, like, I should know that every list we come out with, like, I could be, like, comedies, and you'd be like, Hannibal. 
Time to laugh. Okay, it's kind of funny though. <laughs> um, oh yes, I, I especially love the scene where um, the guy threatened to uh, peel a woman's skin off and tuck his dick in between his legs. Yeah, so comedic this movie. Um, but, oh my god. Um. I'm just laughing so much to myself. It's like, oh, God, didn't we do this, like, three weeks in a row? I love it. Um, and no, yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to say that's, like, that's not even me joking. That's not even me just, like, goofing with you right now. Like, come on, the facts are there, Tia. I didn't realize that he had such a, like, small amount of screen time, which, you know, I know this is unrelated, but... Uh, I feel like I need to bring something new to the table when I talk about Hannibal. Like, I need to prepare now for, like, new things when we talk about this. But it's funny that he only had 16 minutes, right? He made such an impression. And this is going to sound bad because I didn't mind Jared Leto's Joker. But a lot of people will say, like, oh, well, you know, he only had 10 to 15 minutes, you know, to make an impression. And so that's why, you know, maybe you're not so impressed. And I'm like, okay, like, I kind of agree with that, but at the same time, it's like, but you have someone like Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins, who did this performance with only being in 16 minutes of the movie and and won a goddamn Oscar for it. Oh, I know. He won an Oscar for 16 minutes worth of playtime, so... I guess I never realized that the movie was really, like, Clarice's movie, because when you think of Silence of the Lambs, you just think of Hannibal, and I guess that is really why he outshined the freaking uh, lead in this. And, and I think it's, like, another part, not only that, but, like, they played off of each other so well. Like, it was that I they had perfect chemistry for it where it was believable that they could have had a relationship. Yeah, and I, I like mean, my favorite scene. Sorry, my favorite scene is whenever um he's in the cell, right? And he's like looking at something. I think he's reading a book. And he looks and goes, Clarice, he's like, they'll say we're in love, like, because, you know, she came and visited, I don't know, it's like, they play so perfectly together. It'd be interesting, like, I don't think that, I don't know if they should necessarily do another Hannibal movie, but it would be interesting if uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins and Jodie Foster could just, like, do a get together or something like you know, oh, I like, know. Uh, yeah like uh it's funny like so obvious I was gonna lie and say like I haven't heard anything about any sort of like Hannibal um reboot or anything like that I mean they are coming out with the Clarice show but it's not going to include Hannibal and it would be super interesting if they ever decided to co- go back to the movies with it. I mean, would they try to get Mads Nicholson back? Would they get someone else? Because technically, you know, um, obviously uh, Anthony Hopkins is the most iconic Hannibal, but Mads Nicholson played him, and we also had the younger Hannibal in Hannibal Rising, which I kind of liked that movie. I say I remember you telling me how much you liked that movie. 
I just like seeing what led up to Hannibal becoming Hannibal, you know? Um, and it didn't help that the guy who played him was, like, this really good-looking French dude. But, um, oh, my yeah. gosh. <laughs> Tell me how you really feel, Tia. Oh, well, you know, we'll have to wait till after the podcast. But anyway. Um, oh, my God. <laughs> no, no, no. I love uh, you putting Hannibal. Um, I'm just going to know that every podcast that comes out. No, it's not going to be every podcast. I swear. And then next week, whatever we pick, she's going to be like, listen, I know I said that I wouldn't, but this is why he's on it. No, it's okay. I love it. I, I know your obsession, and you know all of my obsession. So uh, great, number six. Uh, let's move on to number five. And, I am again, like, these are all TV shows, so it's great that you're doing the movies right now. But it is going to be – I'm going to put iZombie on this, and it's going to be oh. Blaine – it's going to be Blaine the Beers because even though iZombie – like centered around Rose McIver's um, Liz Moore, which two things really quick. I did love her as Liz and I zombie was one of those shows that, you know, unlike justified, even though it had a main character, I zombie, it gave a lot of like screen time to its side characters. So I love that. You can say if anything, that even though Rose, even though Liv was the main, like they all were like, lead characters in a sense because they were just given like a lot of screen time but especially especially in the beginning seasons uh David Anders as Blaine De Beers just stole the show for me like so you have a world really quick where zombies exist but they're not like how it is in The Walking Dead or 28 Days Later or anything like that they're walking talking living kind of but uh David Andrews played Blaine as the villain in the first season. And like Loki, right, was so personable, so cunning, so just amazing to watch that they kept bringing him back. And I truly feel that they just kept bringing him back because of how great the character was and how great the actor played him because it did feel at some point, not in a bad way, but it did feel like some in some seasons where they were specifically just writing just to keep him around because he was a main villain in the first season. He definitely had like some parts in like, not some parts. He was in the second season. He was very much a catalyst in the second season, but I want to say probably in like seasons like three and five, he was kind of just there. They just like wrote, uh, scene for him and then in season five is when he kind of returned back to his villain stage but he was so great to watch like so like he commanded the screen he, you always knew Blaine had something up his sleeve uh, and it's just and like say with Ward it's they wrote these then tragic moments in it where you really looked at him and it's like, yeah, he's done all these really horrific things, but then you see like what he had to deal with growing up and all of that. And then kind of like from the outside perspective, you kind of understand him a little more. Again, he was killing kids. So I know that that was bad, but 
You're such a, like, okay, so my whole thing, right, is they're all like, oh, you, you know, did all this, you created zombies, blah, 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 but it's like, you know, he was also made a zombie against his will, and he was in a rage mode when he scratched Liv, and Liv is always like, you turned me into a zombie, I'm like, I'm pretty sure he didn't have any control over himself in that moment, you know, and he, I believe, truly did, you know, raise the head her first. scratching everyone. Well, I really feel like at first he was, like, grave digging to get his brains. But, you know, he even said to Liv, he was like, not everyone is as, as fortunate as you. You work at a morgue, so you always have brains coming in. Like, we don't, you know, us who are out there. And I think, you know, Blaine is one of those people that he's always learned how to survive, even if it means getting his hands dirty. Because there's that one scene in the first season where Liv, does agree to bring him brains, but she uh, sees him talking to these people, and in her perspective, she believes that he is going back to his, like, drug-dealing ways and everything, when in reality, he was waiting there for her. It's just these two guys showed up to be like, hey, yo, we haven't seen you in forever, and, you know, blah, blah, and he was like, guys, I'm kind of busy here. I'm waiting for something, and it's like, but she just saw them talking and as soon as she walked away. So it's like to him, it's like he just has to do what he has to do because no one else is really going to be there and look out for him. But my whole point is that I love Blaine. Um, just a continuous joy to watch. And any time in the show where I thought that maybe this would be the end for Blaine, I was like, no, I can't imagine a season without him. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my pick. <laughs> That's the hard thing is when they make a character super, like, they have them do these awful things, right? And obviously a lot of what he did was for money and for power. But then you end up feeling bad for him. And I hate that you feel bad for these horrible characters that do horrible, horrible shit. Because I would have liked to see him have a happy ending. But then when you go back through and you think of him scratching people to basically blackmail them into giving him money so that he can, well, he was extorting them at that point. And then, or, you know, killing the teenagers, killing the kids, uh, doing X, Y, or Z. And you go, man, why did you have to be so unredeemable yet redeemable at the same time? And then we get to meet his father and we go, man, this guy is an asshole. You know, this is awful. And you think of his issues with his mother. You know, he loved his mom. And you go, man, you know, he he was very, okay, I like to live. And I liked everybody else. But they are almost one-dimensional in the aspect of that, you know, she said, you know, she was a good girl, you know, went to a party, got turned, and now she tries to do good things, right? But then you have a character who really has been through some stuff that, you know, who, as you said, wasn't as fortunate. Because who knows that if maybe he would have been able to just get those brains from Liv, if maybe he would have turned out to be halfway decent. So you never know, like, oh, did the zombie virus make him a little more different? You know, what is he eating? You have to think, you know, it's interesting to know how much different he could have been if things would have went different at the beginning. Because I think I remember you showing me that one of the times I was in New York, and I was like, why didn't it, it could have been so much different, Tia? It could have been so much different. But, yes, I, I definitely love Blaine as your pick. I mean, I, I think that, you know, 
they had a character that the other characters couldn't, they couldn't make sense in their head that sometimes people do things in order to survive and they may not always be the right things to do. And the others didn't have the burden of feeling that way. They always were sort of like righteous, which I loved all the characters, but I feel that that is where Blaine was situated. Um, and it's hard to say that, oh, someone who grew up so wealthy was so unfortunate, but he was, you know, and uh, he had Did he have an father. abusive a babysitter? Uh, yeah, um, you know, a, a mate that would literally lock him in a cage that he said, you know, and literally killed his dog because, you know, he was misbehaving or something, you know. So it's like he didn't have, like, a sunshine and roses sort of upbringing. And I think with Blaine, it's like they, you could see at some point throughout the seasons that the – creators must have toyed with the idea of redeeming him where they had him, you know, lose his memory. And then he's like really good to Peyton and he's actually helping out and he's teaming up with the others and all of that. Right. So they had that in there, but I think when it came to season five, uh, which was announced to be the last season that the creators were like, you know, I don't think looking back on it, we can have a character who's done all this shit and have him have a happy ending. Like we have to almost, you know, show the audience that there are consequences to doing the things that he did. I kind of feel like that's where it was at, where it was like, you know, yeah, we made him fun and you've enjoyed his storyline, you know, throughout this whole thing. But in reality, he is responsible for all of these deaths, he is responsible for the zombie population for the most part. And we really can't, like, let him have a happy ending. I mean, he did kill, he did kill Lowell, who I loved, but I still maintain that Lowell tried to kill him first. So that's a doggy dog world. I, I was going to say, he almost has, like, a low-key moment. Like, I feel like that's what they did with him. Like, oh, yeah, this character that's done awful shit. Guess you got to kill him off or have them, like, face the music. I feel like that's what it was, is that they – no, that's why I think, like, Blaine is so, like, low-key in the sense of, you know, he he – does a lot of things that are not really moral and very questionable, but you just can't help but fucking love him sometimes, you know? Uh, That's because the bad guys are more interesting. They really are. So I felt like Blaine was completely more interesting than most of the characters on there, which I love them, but I was just so interested in Blaine's storyline. So that's going to be my number five, uh, Brittany. What is your number four? I'm going to go with a TV show just because I thought of it earlier when I mentioned something, and I hope it's not on your list, so I'm really sorry if it is. If so, I will try to fix with a movie instead, or we can switch spots and you can still have number one. But uh, I am going to go with Sweeney from American Gods. Is he on your list? No, he wasn't. So I'm I'm very pleasantly surprised. That right, right. <laughs> okay, the whole the whole the book, the movie, the everything is supposed to be following Shadow Moon, and you know, with uh, Mister Wednesday, and you would say Shadow is the main character, and I think it's interesting, you know, that Sweeney in the books. Uh, spoiler alerts 
it's a very short uh, moment in the movie. I mean, in the books, and that he basically—is it book or books? I can't remember if it's one book or two books. I think it's just one. Yeah, and so you have him, you know, die a very sad death. You have him, you know, not very important. I was so much more invested in the show and getting to see his part and his relationship and his history and everything with Laura Moon. I thought I found them together to be so much more interesting, so much more un-one-dimensional. And I think that's a common theme in our picks is that the hero always ends up being too boring, too uninteresting. It's for the same reason that, uh, oh, I want to say this, but it might be one of your picks, too, for later on. Do you have anything relating to uh, John Bernthal? I do. Okay, then I'm going to skip that. Well, basically, you know, we have these characters that uh, the hero ends up being, you know, two goody sh- two shoes. But And I wouldn't say exactly that Sweeney's a bad guy, even though we find out he's the one that's the responsible for Laura's death in the first place, even though you could say it was Mr. Wednesday because, you know, he was under orders. But I found Sweeney so interesting. I wanted to cry with him. I wanted to laugh with him. And there wasn't ever a moment where I was like, God, I hate Sweeney. Well, I felt exactly that way about Shadow Moon. Even though Laura was awful in her own right and did some fucked up shit. Like, okay, I know she cheated. I know that was a big deal of it. But did she really deserve death over it? I think she says that in there. She's like, yeah, okay, I had an affair. But, you know, Shadow was in prison for like, I can't remember, like, how many years? Three. Three. And, yeah, you could go, oh, sit and wait, and it was his best friend, which is hard and everything, but did she really deserve to die and be rotting and be, and I know this is kind of turning into Sweeney and Laura. I would say Laura, but Laura. They had such an interesting chemistry, and I found their love so much more true. Uh, We got to see their adventures together, which I thought was, like, infinitely more interesting than Shadow's plot. And just getting to see them together, I was just like, and and, uh, without spoiling too much, the very end with how Sweeney, you know, what he does at the end, I was like, okay, this was perfect, but it was also not perfect. But you know, you know what I'm talking. You know what? Spoiler alert! Um, when he touches the spear and it turns the coins, and he gets his like, he oh. flips them off right at the end. I was like, this is this is everything I needed and more. And I'm still wanting to know with uh, oh, what's the actor? Uh, what's the actor's name? I can't remember it right now. Oh, Matsuini. Yeah. Uh, Pablo Schreiber. Yes, and with him playing Master Chief, I have to wonder, because with that ending scene with Laura running off with his body, it's like, what? What? Who? Huh? How are we going to do, like, why? Why? Like, how are we going to get that actor back once the next season? I have so many unanswered questions, Dia. Well, I do have answers for you, actually. Uh, oh, first, no. First, this is great that you put Matt Sweeney because I was literally just watching a video of Bruce Langley, who uh, plays Technical Boy. Um, So I was thinking about American Gods, 
Um, unfortunately, Pablo Schreiber is not coming back. That was something that was confirmed not only from my talk with Orlando Jones, but also the actor who plays the Jin um, said that he, Pablo, the girl who plays New Media, and Orlando are not returning for season three. Um, that breaks my heart because you like I began watching American Gods for Pablo Schreiber. And I actually read the book because I ended up, like, to me, American Gods is one of my top-tier movies, uh, not movies, TV shows. And because of that, I wanted to read the book. And I, and I read the book. I actually listened to it on audio books, but it's a book, okay? Um, yeah. So, you know, Matt Sweeney's scene is so short. It's literally the bridge scene, right? And that's it. Pretty much, it's the bar scene, right? When him and Shadow first fight, and the bridge scene when you know he's like shaking, and you know he's like towards the end of his rope, right? Those are literally the only two scenes in the entire book. So it's like you know, and by the way, Pablo Schreiber wasn't even originally supposed to play Matt Sweeney. It was supposed to be this other actor called uh, Sean Harris, I think who actually did film a week's worth of the uh, the show, and you can actually see uh, set photos with him in the outfit in the wig, but I think then he had to, like, get they called such home. a better wig. Like, yeah. Well, because that actor's, like, was short with a smaller freaking head, and Paula Shriver's, like, six foot five, you know, and they had to, like, get very quickly. Like, that wig was not originally supposed to be, like, a mohawk. They just had to cut it up to fit his head. Um, but that's how great of an actor that Paula Shriver is, that literally they took a character who was barely in the book and wrote this entire, like, whole uh, plot for him, right? Like, he was definitely, like, not not for nothing, like, no disrespect towards Ricky Whittle, but Shadow is a bland character. And so it's, yes. the characters around, it's the characters around him that are so much more interesting. Finding out about Mad Sweeney, right, just at first it's like, oh, he's a leprechaun. And then seeing, and he's angry. But then he, like, has these, like, little, like, moments where he kind of tells the truth to Shadow. It's just Shadow is, doesn't want to, like, listen and then, as you said, he has his little adventure with Lauren. They're both kind of awful people, but they're, like, they're redeemable. They're awful together. They're, yeah, yeah, they're awful together, and that's almost what makes them redeemable, right? Um, and then season two, like, you know, him in New Orleans. I'm like, yo, Mad Sweetie, you should have just stayed in New Orleans. That episode was great, you know, seeing him interact with everyone. And then, as you said, Brittany, finding out the truth about Matt Sweeney, which, again, was never, ever discussed, right, in the book. Not only do we find out, like, at first, remember in season one, it was, like, already pretty crazy to be like, oh, no, he was a king at first, right? It's like, oh, that's so cool. And then you find out in season two, not only was he a king, he was a god, like, more powerful than Odin, and things make sense as to why, A, Odin has always kept him at arm's length, has treated him like shit, and at the beginning of season two, not allowing Sweeney to go backstage, knowing that they would then see his god form. And that last 
episode in season two, finding out his backstory was so beautifully done. I cried so hard. I wanted desperately for him not to get killed, but he went out in the most badass of way, Odin thinking that that spear was going to help him. And then Sweeney just like, this is my last thing to do. You're right that I really thought that the ending was setting up for him to come back. I don't know how they're going to explain Laura walking off with his body, um, which I loved because I think that moment was when Laura, like, finally, like, got through her head that her and Shadow are never going to be back together. And I think her understanding that Sweeney understood her more. Because that's the thing, really quick. Laura was never her true self to Shadow. She was putting on a persona that she believed Shadow would like, but Sweeney knew the real her. Um, I just think the problem is that they brought in... She was shitty. She was shitty. I mean, she, like, when we had her background episode in season one, you know, even saying, like, how she would, you know, pretend to be the perfect, you know, wife for Shadow, you know, so that he really thought that she was all these different things. When she wasn't, she was literally the girl who tried to kill herself with bug spray, you know? Um, but really quick, what I was going to say is I think the problem is, is because we have different showrunners, you know? You had, you know, season one had different showrunners. Season two had a showrunner that literally dropped out halfway throughout the season, and Orlando Jones had to essentially stand back up and, you know, uh, write a lot of the show himself, which is so foul of what happened to him. And in the interview with Orlando Jones, he said that Paulo Schreiber um, wrote some of his lines as well, but because he isn't like, you know, uh, a registered screenwriter, he couldn't get credit for it. So I think that the problem is, is that you have a showrunner for season three who came in and he's not really paying attention to those plans that were obviously set up in season two. So I don't know what season three is going to be like. I'm trying to be optimistic about it. But the fact that you literally, like, have taken away some of the best characters in that show, I'm, I'm sad about. I know. It's going to be hard to get back into it and care as much as I did. Yeah, but Technical Boy is still around. I'm still there for him. I'm still there for him, man. Like, and I'm kind of happy that they got rid of new media because I couldn't stand her. But Matt Sweeney, oh, they man, did. Okay, good. Yeah, yeah. No, she's one of the actresses that you know aren't returning for season three. So I'm kind of like, okay, I lose, I lose Mr. Nancy, I lose Mad Sweeney, I lose the gin, but. We also lost new media, and that is not a bad thing. Um, <laughs> but, like, and I yeah. will count that as a win. <laughs> I will count that as a win. Uh, hopefully that means that – I want to say that I think that Technical Boy is going to have a bigger role because every time Ricky Whittle has, you know, posted a behind-the-scenes video of American God, it's always with Bruce Langley. So I'm like, does that mean Technical Boy has a bigger role? I am hoping so. But – your pick was Matt Sweeney, and I love you for doing this. I was almost like, oh, when you said TV shows, like, she better not pick what I'm going to pick as my number one. But then you said Matt Sweeney, and I was like, oh, good, okay. Yeah, I could hear certainly... the pause in your voice. I could almost, like, 
You ever hear like a rattlesnake shake its tail, like shake its rattle, and when danger's incoming? That's how I felt when I was going to say it. I was like, I sense danger. <laughs> but I love it. Oh, I what's, love that, it. Um, what's that meme where it's like chuckles? I'm in danger. I'm in danger. That was me. <laughs> I love that you put Matsuni certainly outshined the lead in this show. But to be fair, I feel that every character in that show outshines the lead. Anyway, um, let's move on to number three. And this is a character that we were just talking about last night and who I certainly believe outshines the lead, and it is Gordon Clark in Halt and Catch Fire. Because Ooh. while, you know, the show is, like, supposed to be about Lee Pace, right? Like, that he is presented as the lead character. He's the first person that you see on screen in the show, and it's supposed to really be honed in and focused on him at, uh, Mackenzie Davis's character, but see, I'm like, yeah, I don't really care. Like, I cared somewhat, but I didn't truly care. I cared 100% about Scoop McNary as Gordon Clark. Like, his his storyline was so much more interesting. His character was so much more interesting. I mean, I, like, I love the show. Just like American Gods, it's within the top tier of series that I will always recommend but to me it just felt like Gordon Clark's story and his characterization was like a thousand times more interesting where they went with it um you know because here's like a broken man who is like living within the failure of his own creation and cannot essentially get over it and then seeing his character transform and his character you know going through all these other things his relationship with Donna um his relationship with his kids I just and then obviously what happens in the later seasons to me I felt like Gordon completely outshined um Lee Pace uh you know Joe in this show and I feel like if they ever came out with like say a reboot or a revival I kind of wouldn't want to watch it only because I know that Gordon wouldn't be in it. So, um, but either way, I loved Gordon Clark and Halt and Catch Fire. To me, he 100% outshined the lead. Brittany, I talk about this show all the time. It's essentially my Hannibal. So what do you think? All right, <laughs> right. I don't feel as bad now. <laughs> I do not feel as bad. Now, I love Gordon because for me – when you were showing me so much of him, I was like, oh, he's obviously the main character. He's the main character, but you're right. It is supposed to kind of follow. Uh, it, it's Joe Mac. Is it Macmillan? Macmillan, yeah. Okay. You know, when I sat there, I was like, he's the main character? He's fucking awful, which this goes back <laughs> to tell you. It's like, you know, as much as we complained about a main character that's too good and too... Uh, they gave us a main character that was absolute like shit. Like I love like him as an actor, and I think he played a really good character. But I hate Joe. He is an awful human Joe. being. He is kind of unredeemable. And 
What's bad is he doesn't do anything particularly, like, awful, awful besides screwing over Gordon so many times. Like, he doesn't murder anyone. He doesn't, like, you know, do specific things that we would say an evil person would do. But it's that he's so narcissistic. It's hard to love him. But I think what's so lovable about Gordon is it's like, He's a hardworking father. You know, he's obviously unfulfilled. He's going basically through a midlife crisis. And I think we can all understand that feeling of unfulfillment and wanting to see his dreams come true and feeling like that's never going to happen. So he's just going through the motions. And to see him really rise up and finally hit, like, he's making his dreams happen. And as much as Joe is awful, Joe pushed him to that. And I think Gordon even says that. Uh, you know, it's like he finally got to do what he wanted. You see him clean up. He obviously looks so much happier. Because when I watched the first season, when you were showing me everything, I was like, God, he looks miserable and sad. He was a pushover. Like, you know, Gordon, by the end of the season, would have never let someone take his parking spot and just roll over on it and act just kind of irritated about it. He would have been, like, fighting over it. He had more of life breathed into him, and I think that's what's so interesting about Gordon, except, you know, obviously the end makes me want to cry, and it's like that's when it really realizes. It's kind of like when you lose Ned Stark. And you think he's the main character, and then suddenly you realize there is no main character and no one is safe. That's how I felt about Gordon, where it's like, wait a second, how can you do this show without the main character? And you go, oh, he wasn't the main character. So I think that just goes to show how integral he was to that story, because there would have been no story without Gordon. And that's why I don't know what they're going to do with the next season. Well, I mean, I don't think they're coming out because the show ended back in 2017. But I, I say that because Halt and Catch Fire seems to be one of those shows that, like, no one really watched it when it first came out. But it's, like, a cult classic now. Like, now people are talking about it since it's on Netflix. And, you know, I mentioned this once before that any when 2020 was coming, and, you know, obviously all these sites are doing different articles of, you know, top ten shows from the past decade and shit. Like, Halt and Catch Fire was on every single list. And so that's why I say, like, when you have shows that are popular like that and we're in the age of, like, revivals, it's like, what if they decide now that it's, you know, popular that they would come out and, like, revive it for, like, another season. But I'm, like, I just wouldn't want that just because I wouldn't watch it. But my whole thing is, like, you're right, you know. Like, Joe was a sociopath, first of all. He kept screwing over yes, people. Yes, he was. Every, he screwed people over every season. That made it really hard for me to ever trust that he was going to do the right thing. Um, But he didn't, like, especially in season one, he didn't really have any technological know-how. He knew enough that he could sell, but he wasn't a coder. He wasn't an engineer. You needed both Gordon and Cameron to achieve what he wanted to achieve. Like that, so he was kind of like the puppet master in that moment. But, you know, then Gordon and Cameron kind of decided, like, you know, where's the talent? You know, he's nothing without us. Um, And just see, like, as you said, like, in the first season, he has, like, this really bushy yeah. beard. He's he's not 
uh, doing his hair, really. He looks very disheveled, and he walks slouched, and then we see, you know, he's getting, like, you know, he trims his beard, he stops wearing glasses, he's looking better, and that's because he's feeling better. And, you know, finally he's uh, being you know, acknowledge for, say, the genius that he is, which is a very, a very uh, big, powerful word, but he really was, like, incredibly smart and incredibly talented. Well, now I'm just sad. I, <laughs> I know. Thanks I hate it. It makes me so sad. Like, why? Why? Why did we need that to happen? Like, why was that necessary to, you know, I guess spoiler alert for anyone who's listening, but, you know, he dies, you know, and it's like, why? That, why did we need that? I didn't need that at all. Like, <laughs> to see him get out. Oh, God. Oh, it was the hero it. we needed but didn't deserve. <laughs> yeah, I guess especially every time he like fucking uh told Joe off. I can't remember if he actually like took a swing at Joe. I can't remember that. I think they did get into a fight one time, which is hilarious now that I think about it. I have to like go back and like rewind. Like he looks like he'd get wrecked. Gordon, though, definitely had, like, a temper. I still love the scene where he's told that he's not going to Comdex, and that's all that he wanted to do. And he goes into his office to try and listen to those, like, calming tapes, and it doesn't work, and he just fucking throws it against the wall. (laughs) I'm going to say he's got a little bit of a temper. I agree. He definitely has a little bit of a temper. He's just, like, not... Sometimes he doesn't handle things the best. Uh, Yeah, you know what? I agree. I agree. I agree. But I love Gordon Clark. Uh, Always and forever will have a special little place in my heart for as long as I shall live. Um, But let's get down to the top two, Brittany. The top two. Um, the imagine top that. Two. Which is the show. <laughs> uh, Brittany, what do you got for us? I think, like, looking back at my list, I'm so torn uh, of, like, because you sit there and you go, who deserves it? Who deserves it? But <laughs> It's like a okay. crown to, like, at a pageant. Who deserves this? <laughs> right. <laughs> Oh, God, those brings back days. Um, but um, I'm going to go with Hans Landa from Inglorious Bastards. Because ah. Christopher Waltz stills the show of every single movie he's in, whether it's uh, J- Django Unchained, when I can't remember his name, but he's one of, like, I haven't seen that movie, but I always hear about how much everybody loves him Wait. in that movie. Wait, I gotta stop you for a second. You've never seen Django Unchained? No, I have not. Oh my god, it's so good. I'm sorry. Well, that's what I, it's I'm like. Sorry. I've seen clips. Oh, you're like, am I dead to you if I don't watch it? I can't believe you've never watched it. It's not only, like, one of Leonardo DiCaprio's best um, portrayals in a movie, but also... 
Christoph Waltz's best, uh, and Jamie Foxx's. They all, like all three of those, and Samuel Jackson, and Samuel Jackson. I can't, I can't go on, go on. But (laughs) oh man, well, with Inglorious Bastards, like I love the plot and everything, but you cannot tell me that's not one of the most iconic scenes when he goes to the the guy with the farm, with basically the dairy farm. And he goes there, and you know that the Jewish people are hiding underneath the floorboards, and he's so calm and collected, and he's like, oh, do you speak English? And he's like, yes. And when he switches, and he's wanting to know if, like, the people under the floorboard know English, and it's like, no, and it's like, so that they can just between themselves. And it's just how playful the character is, and it's like, but he's so awful and so horrific, but his scenes stand up the most to me, whether or not where he's like, uh, what does he say to Shoshana? Like Shoshana, I, I'm trying to think if that was her name because I haven't seen the movie in so long. And, but he tells her basically goodbye in French and he just lets her go. Oh. Because he, goes, he goes, au revoir, Shoshana. Yes, yes. I was like, I couldn't remember, and I didn't want to make an idiot out of myself, so I'm glad you did that. Thank you. But, uh, but seeing that scene, or like the creme part, whether or not it's like uh, when you see Shoshana again, and you almost feel like he, Hans knows who she is in that moment. And like the cream, like the, the whipped cream basically was the way of saying like, oh, do you remember? It's just like, he's such a horrific, awful character, but he's so wildly interesting that I can't stop. Like when I watch that movie, I'm fascinated with his scenes, kind of like watching a train wreck or like a uh, car accident. You just can't look (laughs) away. But it's because his acting's so good that you're just like, I'm terrified of him, even though he comes off as more of a playful character. Oh, yeah. I mean, Hans Land, Hans Landa, I think, uh, yeah, is sure. certainly, like, he just outshines her. In a movie that is one of the best movies, certainly, in my opinion, Quentin Tarantino's best movie, Um Every character just 100% stellar, right? He certainly outshines everyone in that movie. I mean, the way the movie begins, right, with him. And I I was thinking just as you were talking about, because while the beginning scene is certainly a standout scene, to me nothing will top the, the cafe scene. Because in that feeling the tension, feeling like just that dread, right? And how you, I'm convinced that Hans knew that that was Shoshana, right? And he was just a cat playing with a mouse, right? Um, And and I just loved it, like 100%, like how he left and she started gasping for air. And he was great. He knew it, like, I love also, though, the end, like, towards the end of that movie, where, you know, all, like, uh, Michael Fassbender and those other two guys get killed, so, like, the German woman has to essentially say that she has an Italian 
improv film crew, and she's like, oh, um, you know, the, the Germans, they don't speak Italian, you know, and so she thinks, like, that will get her in the clear, and then suddenly Hans Wanda just starts speaking fluent Italian, and it's like, oh, shit. <laughs> oh, man, and that scene where he, like, strangles her, like, over the shoe part is so horrific. I did not see it coming. It made me jump so bad. No, that scene was crazy because it's like he he pretty much is like, put your foot on my lap. And he's just like, he's like smiling, but you know it's not an option. And you're like, oh, what's going to happen now? You know, and it's like, no, he just full on strangles her. But the best thing is, right, because he's so against, like, Jewish people. You know, he has the whole speech about, you know, would you allow a, a mouse to be in your house, you know? And he's so, like, this gun-ho Nazi, right? But when it comes to self-preservation, he full-on, like, spills the beans on everything, right? Remember at the end, he, like, gives up all the information to Brad Pitt's character, he, you know, says, like, okay, I'll fully cooperate. I'll tell you where they are. I'll, you know, I even, uh, you know, at the theater, lock the door and everything. So I help, you know, with, you know, this whole plan that you have and shit. And I want to say that, you know, I fully cooperated and I, you know, want to go to America and, you know, live in a nice house. And it's like, he full on, like, completely rolled over, you know, at the end. What I think gets me is he even says he doesn't believe in the whole Nazi plan. He just really likes hunting people. And I think that's the most fucked up of all is like, even though, you know, it's fucked up enough as it is, it's not even the fact that he has some kind of ideology about it. It was just that he really liked the chase of it. And that's pretty sickening. It is sickening because it's like, as you said, it's sickening enough how, you know, much there was this, like, just incredible racism, you know, and all that. But the fact that it's, like, to him it was just an excuse to, you know, hunt and kill. But my favorite thing is that Brad Pitt's like, okay, you can go to America and you can have that little house. But I'm carving a fucking swastika in your forehead. Uh, Right? Because I like that that was like the one thing it was like basically, yeah, you're going to get all this, but we're going to make sure it really, really sucks. Well, because to him it was like his character was like, I don't, because, you know, with him he knew. He's like, the war is going to end at some point. He goes, and the last thing I want is all of these people who did all these horrific things to think that once the war's over, they could just take their uniform off and it's going to be like as if they never did any of this shit. And it's like, no, I want to make sure that for the rest of your life, not only do you have a reminder, but anytime you see someone, they're going to know exactly what you are. Ugh, it's so good, though. But I love Christoph Waltz in, uh, in Glorious Bastards. I definitely think that his character was a standout and stole the show 100%. I mean, when you think about Inglorious Bastards, he's definitely, like, the character that you think about the most. Yeah, no kidding. <laughs> I love it 100%. Brittany, I think that all of your picks were absolutely marvelous in this, uh, in this list. 
<laughs> and we're down to the last one um, in a top ten characters that outshine the leads in movies and TV shows. Um, I'm going to name off all of the great characters that we put down, and it's going to be sorry, Jack Sparrow, Tim Gutterson, Loki, Ward Meacham, Hannah, Blaine DeBeers, Mad Sweeney, Gordon Clark, Hans Landa, and the number one who, I guess if we all know that Hannibal's going to be on the list, we should know that probably this character is going to be on the list, and it is going to be Frank Castle in the second season of Daredevil. See, I, what's funny is that who I was thinking of was not him, but also him at the same time as soon as I went to say the other. What was the other one that you thought it was? Shane, because I was going to say, oh, you have Rick, who's, you know, so uh, goody two-shoe at the gun, Shane, who's doing everything that has to be done that you see them do in later seasons, but he was ahead the time on it. And I was like, your pick is amazing, but I thought for certain that you were going to pick Shane. See, the thing is, is that while Shane certainly outshined Rick, he was gone within two seasons. My thing is that Frank Castle outshined Matt Murdock so much that they gave it friggin' John Bernthal his own show. Because the thing because when when Netflix first ordered all of these shows, The Punisher was not the original plan. It was Daredevil, Luke Cage, Iron Fish, Jessica Jones, right? And they were all supposed to lead up to the Defenders. It was once season two of Daredevil came out and everyone was blown away that Netflix was like, well, we got to capitalize on this and make a fucking season of The Punisher, right? So yeah. that's how much he outshined. And you even you and I even joke around, and many people do, where we say that that's the first season of The Punisher. The Punisher didn't have two seasons. It had three because Daredevil Season 2 was The Punisher Season 1. I mean, what else can we say, Brittany? It's like Season 2 started, and it's like, uh, let me tell you a quick story. I don't know if I've said this on air or not, but, like, you know, I'm not a comic book reader. So it's like I know certain characters only by the fact that they are popular, right? Like, yeah. I I never read The Punisher comics and I didn't really know who the Punisher was. But I did know that he was a big character. I know that he was a important character within, like, comic book and superhero, whatever, like, lore. And I knew that yeah. the second season of Daredevil was featuring the Punisher. Um, and I thought to myself, like, that's a big deal. Because I think at that point, um, Marvel didn't have rights to the Punisher up until then. So they just got that back. And I'm like, that's a big deal. I was like, I kind of, like, there was something about, like, I had no idea who John Bernthal was. I had no idea really who the Punisher was. I was like, but for some reason, I feel drawn to this. I want to know. I want to be a part of this, you know? Yeah. And, and it's like, there's such that presence where I remember in the beginning scene where at first they think it's a gang. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I thought the Punisher was just one person. I was like, okay. But then at that scene, like the setup to it, you know, and Matt Murdock oh. is talking to them. And he's like, I thought it was a group. And he's like, not they, him, 
it's one man in the way that they like (laughs) it's so good he just goes it's so good and like he outshines it you didn't really even care about matt murdoch's like story you cared about frank oh no okay it's like here's frank you know the first few episodes you see it's like oh he's just causing destruction he's just you know an adversary for daredevil but then it's like then he goes on trial then you find out what happened to us. Then you have, you know, what's going on between him and Karen. And then you have, like, it almost became one of those things where it's like Matt was the main character, but it's like you started understanding Frank more than you started understanding Matt. It's like to you, Frank was like, he had the right mindset. You know what it was? It was like you have someone like Matt who's so overly good, Right. That it's yeah. like they can't they can't handle sometimes getting their hands dirty and then when they do it's like they become too corrupted. But you have someone like Frank who just accepts the world as is because you know Matt's like you kill people Frank blah, blah blah and Frank's like he's like yeah because you do it and they just get right back out and they just keep doing what they were doing. He was like I do what's necessary and I don't ask for anything in return right. And I love that one scene where, and I love that one scene where Matt's like, okay, maybe it's just this once. And Frank's like, no, dumbass. It isn't just once. I, I, I love how serious he is. Yeah, and I just love it. Like, 100% Frank Castle outshined Matt Murdock in season two. Like, I couldn't care less about Matt's storyline, especially with Electra. I'm like, whatever. Don't give a That's shit. I Fuck Alexa, <laughs> which is so funny. I was talking to Joanne about that. He was like, I love her. And I'm like, yeah, I really couldn't of care less. Of course he does. Of course he does. <laughs> and the only reason why I would want Matt and Alexa to be together is so that Karen and Matt would never get together, so that Karen would be there for Frank. But it's like, Alexa was horrible for Matt. But anyway, um, yeah, like 100% Frank Castle, like, outshines Matt Murdock in season two. I'm convinced that's why they didn't even have him make an appearance in season three of Daredevil is that they knew people would be like, oh my God, John Burstall's back is Frank and Daredevil. How much more of him are we going to get? And it's like, no, 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 this is Matt's story, guys. This is Matt's story. It's like, okay, 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 but Frank Castle. No, Frank Castle. I know. How many times have you and I been, like, when we talk about Frank Castle, we go season one, and we're like, oh, wait, that's Terry Daredevil's season two, which is funny, because you know how everybody jokes, like, oh, you mean Daredevil season two? You mean Punisher season one? <laughs> and it's true, true though. <laughs> like, I... I like he really did steal the show and I remember watching and just skipping ahead to his scenes because Matt Murdock was great but we did see him like not be as great in season two and getting to see Frank Castle and Karen's like relationship, you know, the part where he's in the hospital bed, you know, when there's like she's in his house and he goes, You were in my house? You know, like, just the emotion behind it. And I think that's the big thing is that, yes, everybody showed a lot of emotion, but John Burnsall made you feel Frank's hurt and feel his, when, you know, his sadness. When you have Frank, right, and it's like at first you only see him as this, like, you know, 
gun-ho killer, nothing's going to get in his way, and it's like not even Daredevil, right? But then you, A, learn that he was, or like when you're shooting at Karen, and it's like he doesn't miss. He was doing that on purpose, you know? But when you have the episode where they're going up against the Irish mafia, and him and Matt almost have like this like playful kind of banter, you know, where he's like, oh, he's like, no killing. He's a choir boy. But then he Choir boy. The and then he gets him to the grave, and John Bernthal just has this really emotional monologue where you thought, like, as someone like me, right, who really had no idea about Frank Castle's backstory, to learn all of that there, such an amazing experience, I feel like, and he delivered it so well. Just to find everything out about him, like his story, there was such a mystery to it. And it just kept unraveling. And, of course, that continued in the first season of The Punisher. But that's why, like, yes, Shane 100% outshined Rick for me. But I put John, uh, I put Frank Castle because it's like he outshines Matt Murdock so much that they gave him his own series. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it's incredible. And I, I would... If one show had to survive, I'd be like, Daredevil had its shot. It's time for only the Punisher. (laughs) See, I want to disagree just slightly with you because I feel like, say, if Disney Plus ever did decide to bring back these characters, but they're not going to bring back every show, I would say bring back Daredevil. Just bring the Punisher back into it. He's already a part of that world. You know, like we don't have Billy Russo anymore. Um, Madani kind of had her story and we can bring Curtis in, you know, you could still show that. I think it would be easy. I think there's more of a mythos in Daredevil than there is in the Punisher. So I think it would be easier to just bring over say Frank Castle and Curtis than the opposite because Daredevil is essentially like the Iron Man of the Defenders universe, right? You can bring back Daredevil and just have, you know, uh, Luke Cage pop up. You could have Danny Rand pop up. And then you can have um, freaking Frank Castle pop up, you know, which would be great, right? Can you imagine that, right? Daredevil comes back and he's going to face this adversary that he has no idea how he's going to defeat it. He's like, I tried to, you know, I, I, went toe-to-toe with Wilson Fisk, but I don't know how I'm going to go toe-to-toe with this next villain. And Karen's like, I got the Punisher on speed dial, boo. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still laughing over homeless uh, Frank Castle. He's been like... (laughs) (laughs) Like, I'm just saying, she has him on freaking speed dial, like... To me, one of the best episodes in the second season of The Punisher was when Karen came in and they're talking and shit. And it's like, you know, that. see, I will let you know really quick that it was the most unrealistic thing about Daredevil season three is that Karen's life was in imminent danger and she didn't bother to call Frank. Like, I want to see that interaction, right, where it's like, you know, Frank and Matt are teaming up and Karen's there and, you know, Matt says something and it kind of alludes to, like, what happened with Wilson Fisk and Frank's like, whoa, 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 whoa. And you didn't you're call me? me? You, you're telling me that you were going to get killed by Wilson Fisk 
and no one bothered to give me a call. And they're like, well, Frank, you know, no, no, no. And he's like, no, no, Matt, I'm talking to Karen right now. <laughs> I'm talking to Karen. I'm talking to Karen. I'll be with you later. And Karen would be like, well, I called my dad, and I tried to, you know, go home, and my dad said he didn't want me there. And, you know, I just figured that I had to deal with things. But Frank's just like, I was literally doing nothing. I was eating beans out of a can in my shoebox of an apartment, and I could have fucking did something. What was I just thinking of? Oh, John, like Frank Castle is the version with Karen where it's like I've literally only known her for five minutes, but I would literally <laughs> die for her. Like I would kill anyone that hurt her and then kill myself. Definitely Frank because, it, like, in Daredevil season two where – you know, you think that Frank is, like, killing all these people, but it's really, like, the other guys. And he didn't have to go to Karen's apartment. He didn't have to make sure she was okay. Who was Karen to him, you know, at that point? But it's, like, he made sure not only did, like, he originally went there just to make sure that she knew that it wasn't him. Like, what? By the way, they're coming for Frank Castle right now over there. I know, the freaking police side. But do you know what I'm saying? It's like he literally went there just to be like, I want you to know I've murdered a lot of people, but I didn't murder those people. It's important that you know that. And Karen's like, it's is it important? <laughs> like, uh, is it? Is it? On, no, it's perfect. One last thing I'll say is there's this um, comparison that I always love because literally in that episode, Karen gets shot at twice. And the first time is when she's with Matt and Foggy in the DA's office. And when they start getting shot at, like, yeah, Matt, you know, like pushes Karen to the ground, but he kind of just has this like arm over her, right? No, Frank Castle is like, I'm going to encompass this woman with my entire body just to make sure she doesn't get hit. Oh, I know. He's like, like he basically became like a human like blanket in that moment. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. But yeah, so Frank Castle to me, like 100% deserves to be the number one on this list. Um, Brittany, while we have a few minutes with each other, do you have any honorable mentions that you'd like to throw out there? I think on my list I had Darth Vader because he stole the show. Uh, then I had Nebula, Valkyrie. Oh, um, yeah. Wait, let me look real quick. I felt like I had a couple others, but I accidentally started deleting them after I was done with mine. I was like, wait a second. Oh, and Joker from uh, Dark Knight Rising. You mean the Dark Knight? Yeah, yeah, that's what I meant. Sorry. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah, Nebula and Valkyrie especially, like, stole the show, especially in, say, um, I want to say Infinity War and Endgame. Nebula definitely, like, became more of a standout. I just saw this gift the other day of, like, that scene in Endgame with her and Rhodey where she goes to, like, you know, put her hand to get the orb and it pretty much gets, like, singed off. And she kind of just looks at it and she's like, you know, and she's like, I wasn't always like this. And he's like, me either. And I'm like, I love their friendship. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, and Valkyrie absolutely stole the show as poor Ragnarok. Like, what are we kidding? She's definitely going to steal the show in Love and Thunder. But um, uh, yeah, so for my honorable mentions, obviously Shane in The Walking Dead. Um, I wanted also to say Logan Delos in Westworld, the character that Ben Barnes played. Yeah. Because in season one, I literally couldn't care less about um, the main character. I just wanted more Logan. Um, and I also had another John Bernthal character, and it was him as Brax in The Accountant uh, next to, Ooh. say, Ben Affleck. <laughs> See, I had a movie in my honorable mentions. <laughs> uh, I would have said the only one that didn't make it. Yeah, well, it was hard, you know. I wanted to make sure that some of these bitches made it onto the list. Um, God, I'm looking, and I'm like, this is a really good list. I feel like this that we've uh, come out with. I was going to say, oh, my last honorable mention would just be, uh, on the Delos note, uh, Dr. Mm-hmm. Ford in Westworld. Oh, that is true. That is certainly true. Like, uh, Sir Anthony Hopkins definitely outshines anyone in anything. He's a show-stealer. He really is. Like, I haven't watched Westworld Season 3 yet, but I'm kind of like, like, I liked Dolores, but I wasn't insanely invested in her. I'm like, man, you tell me that Ben Barnes isn't going to be in it? I don't know about that. All right, they're getting rid of all the things that made Westworld Westworld. Oh, yeah, it was hilarious. Like, Ben Barnes definitely made sure to tell everyone because he went to the red carpet premiere for season three. And you know that people were going to be like, oh, my God, he was at the red carpet. So he was like, had so much fun at the red carpet. I'm not in season three, but you should. And I'm like, God damn it. <laughs> he, like, uh, everyone like it. he basically blue balled everybody in one swift move. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But, Brittany, this is a fantastic episode where we went through all of the characters that I feel that we just love. And now I really wish my Wi-Fi was working so I could watch some of this stuff already. But, uh, (laughs) Brittany, I know that you've been incredibly busy lately, but please uh, plug your stuff. Let everyone know where we can find you and what's on the horizon for you gonna say you can always find me at twitch.tv slash itty bitty brit where i've been playing a lot of dark siders and animal crossing because animal crossing is my favorite game of all time uh so like <laughs> kanye west in that moment um i also uh you can find me on twitter at itty bitty brit zero which is a great place to let you know like when i'm going live what's my schedule what games are coming up i often run polls to kind of get everybody's idea of what they would like for me to play but yeah you can find me there and uh hopefully uh i may be able to stream tonight but it's probably going to be tomorrow since i don't work tomorrow but besides that (laughs) it's always a good time there I was half expecting you to go, my name is Itty Bitty Brit 1, because Itty Bitty Brit hey, was... Or, it. I stopped <laughs> it. <laughs> but yes, everyone, please make sure... 
you love me. Please make sure that you check out Brittany's stuff. She is a very dedicated Twitch streamer who puts in a lot of hours for your entertainment and does a lot of strange things for money. I'm not going to say what it is on air, but I've seen it. individual who uh, you should absolutely watch because she plays a plethora of different games from Animal Crossing to scary to adventurous and all that jazz and has some really amazing headphones so you should check those out as well but as for me um, (laughs) take it with a great assault As for me, we do the top 10 every weekend, and you should certainly check it out because we have a lot of fabulous episodes from the top 10 moments in Halt and Catch Fire, Narcos Mexico, uh, the top 10 worst on-screen couples, and many, many more. Make sure you check that out. I am also starting a little bit of a YouTube series called Tea Time with Tia. Uh, which is a little corny, but I, you know, just take about 15 to 20 minutes to talk about certain things, such as the four shows that you should watch while quarantine, defending 2018's Venom, and talking about the crazy documentary on Netflix called Tiger King, which, Brittany, you should check out. Um, But (laughs) make sure... Make sure you check me on Twitter and Instagram, Tia Fabi. You can also find me at Geek Vibes Nation, which is on Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, everything and anything in between. There are no excuses, but we have a plethora of podcasts, articles. I know there's not a lot of news right now because of everything going on, but that doesn't stop us. We're coming out with articles every single day, so make sure you check that out and I can't wait till next weekend. Thanks, Brittany, and thank you, everyone, for listening. See ya. Thank you, guys. See y'all next time.